Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today, in the most unexpected series in maybe Virtual Legality's history, we are going to once again be talking about GameStop, the name on everybody's lips, even though no one has really been invested in its securities for some time. Now, today we have a different angle on this particular story, as a number of folks have drawn my attention to the fact that the Robinhood app, one of the more popular online retail trading applications that has apparently become very popular on the App Store and elsewhere on the internet, has decided to restrict trading in GameStop and others. I want to give a hat tip to the one true mango at the one true mango on Twitter, who tagged me and said, it appears Robinhood has stopped letting people trade GME. That's GameStop. I saw people on Wall Street Bets wondering if this was legal. If you've taught me anything, it's that there's probably something in their terms of service that makes it fine, but thought it might be an interesting virtual legality episode idea. And in fact, one true mango, you are not the only one with this concept. I got this link to me in a number of different ways. Here's Stoned F. Rug, who said to basically every internet lawyer uh, on the planet, hey, Robinhood has blocked GME, AMC, and many other stocks from being traded. Are they allowed to do this? What can we do in response to keep trading? This seems to be a choice by Robinhood, or was this something that the government did? We see it referenced in other places. I would imagine they'll be getting sued here for controlling the markets to benefit the big guys. This has to be illegal, right? Even Seeking Alpha, one of the bigger kind of equities and securities-based blog journalistic outlets, said Robinhood reportedly locking out traders and had a series of quotes about this. Now, we don't have to rely solely on tweets or reportedlys or things like that. Robinhood actually went out this morning with a blog post entitled Keeping Customers Informed Through Market Volatility, in which, among other things, they said the following, we continuously monitor the markets and make changes where necessary. In light of recent volatility, we are restricting transactions for certain securities to position closing only. You can sell out of your position, but only that, including AMC, the theaters, uh, BB. BBBY, one of those is Bed Bath & Beyond, one of those is Best Buy, uh, EXPR, GME, GameStop, that's the one we're focused on, Uh, COS, NAKD, and I think that's Nokia at the end. Again, I'm not on Wall Street Bets, so if you want to come into the comments and identify all those properly for the other viewers, I would appreciate it. But other than that, I see AMC, Nokia, GameStop, some of the other things that we've been seeing online. We also raised margin requirements for certain securities. The market is right now in a state of flux. And Robinhood is, or at least part of its investment group, is certified. They're licensed to do these kinds of things. That means that they have to take certain precautions, comply with certain laws, and also they don't want to take a bath themselves as a brokerage, as an application. So in the interest of complying with securities laws, in the interest of not making other people mad at various regulatory agencies, and in the interest of not going under somehow, just based on market volatility, they've decided to restrict trading in these particular securities. They also said amid significant market volatility, it's important as ever that we help customers stay informed. They put together some additional blog posts and some notes when you go and you access the Robinhood app that say, hey, be careful, the market is doing crazy things this week and we know it's attractive to jump into places like GameStop, but you should be careful. And if you've watched prior videos in this series, I guess it's a series now, here in virtual legality, you know that I agree that this bubble is artificial in nature and that some people are going to be really, really, really 
financially damaged. Hopefully those people, for the most part, are folks that can take that kind of financial damage. But in general, those are the kinds of situations, a bubble like this one, that the securities laws are particularly concerned with, even if the tools, as we talked about in those prior videos, that they have might not be well-equipped to deal with what amounts to a 4chan splinter group that is doing things for lols on a YOLO basis. That isn't exactly what the securities laws are designed to handle, but it does mean that people could be caught in the wash, whether that's hedge funds, which, yes, I understand people being excited about taking down fat cats and things like that, but do comprise investments from other institutional investments like pension funds, ERISA plans, uh, which are plans, of course, that are cobbled together from employee contributions at various institutions. And so when there is this market volatility, a lot of people tense up and say, hmm, what should be done? And Robinhood has a lot of eyeballs on it. We'll get to that in just a second. Before we do, I want to talk about the legality of this, right? I think a number of people on Twitter and on social media that have contacted me look at this and say, well, this is Robinhood protecting those hedge funds. This is Robinhood siding with the man against the retail investors that make up Robinhood's customer base, it should be noted, and we need to strike out against them. If you go and you look at these Seeking Alpha quotes, you actually get things like, I will burn the Robinhood app to the ground if they shut down free market trading, which is from at Stool Presidente, a fairly major figure in internet celebrity. And so you've got these people that are threatening Robinhood. You've got these people concerned about what Robinhood is doing, whether it's legal. But I'm here to tell you, as was surmised by the post that I showed you earlier on, that yeah, Robinhood can do this. Why can Robinhood do this? Well, you might be thinking that you have the ability to assert your own risk and to do what you need to do in a market this volatile and you should be allowed to do it. And in fact, if we look at the Robinhood customer agreement as of 2020, I think that's the last update they have, at least the last one I could find here, you see that they say exactly that. You have to agree with them that you understand that whether I place a market or limit order, I will receive the price at which my order is executed in the marketplace subject to the clarification stated below, particularly during periods of high volume, illiquidity, fast movement, or volatility in the marketplace, the execution price received may differ from the quote provided on entry of an order, and I may receive partial executions of an order at different prices. The market's going crazy, so we have to secure your offer at different prices in order to clear what it is that you wanted to buy. I understand that Robinhood Financial is not liable for any price fluctuations. And you see a lot of additional language here where Robinhood does the proper thing as a kind of brokerage application and says, hey, this isn't on us. If you tell us to execute one of these things, then our various pieces will do that. But it's on you and you need to know that when you enter into a volatile market, all hell can break loose. You might say, well, that's enough, right? I've accepted the risk. Robinhood is covered but maybe not. Again, this is a regulated market. This is dealing with regulators. This is dealing with the Securities and Exchange Commission and the state regulators and the exchanges. And so Robinhood has a vested interest in saying, "Mm, well, we maybe aren't sure about all of this. We think that maybe people are investing when they shouldn't be. This could bring down things like our application, could get regulations placed upon us. And so they also reserve a much, much broader right. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Section 16 of the customer agreement that undoubtedly anybody entering under Robinhood application clicked through, right? This is something like 35 pages long, so I don't blame anybody for that. But in the very first sentence of section 16 of this agreement, it says, I understand that Robinhood may, in its discretion, so totally up to it, prohibit or restrict the trading of securities or the substitution of securities in any of my accounts, right? So it's done and dusted. The contract says, I understand Robinhood can do this thing. 
can prohibit or restrict the trading of securities. So when we talk about can Robinhood do this? Yes, you entered into a contract that allows Robinhood to do this. Continuing with this specific section, they say, I understand that Robinhood may at any time at its sole discretion and without prior notice to me, prohibit or restrict my access to the use of the app or the website or related services and my ability to trade. Refuse to accept my transactions. Just say, hey, we're getting out of the market. We don't want to do any of this anymore. Refuse to execute any of my transactions or terminate my account. They can just get rid of you at their sole discretion. Hey, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Further, Robinhood will not tolerate any foul or abusive language, physical violence, threatening behavior, or other inappropriate conduct directed towards Robinhood, its affiliates, officers, employees, contractors, or customers. If I engage in such behavior, they are allowed to liquidate your position, send you your proceeds, and close your account. Completely get rid of you. So when you see things like Stuhl Presidente saying, I will burn Robinhood app to the ground, maybe Robinhood just liquidates his position. Now, I don't think that's a great idea. They're going through a bit of a public relations issue right now, certainly online, certainly as it's being reported in the, fair, uh, in the various financial journalism outlets, but they reserve the right to do so. And so when we're talking about contract rights, this is what you agreed to when you started trading through Robinhood. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean you have to be happy about it. But Robinhood most certainly as a corporate organization reserved the right to do what they are doing today. Now, why are they doing it, right? The secondary question I'm getting a lot is, is the government forcing their hand here? And I don't know that that's in fact the case. I do think that the Securities and Exchange Commission is undoubtedly on phone calls and talking with these various brokerages, talking to various people involved in what's happening with the market right now. But it's important to know how the SEC views itself, what the securities laws think they are, and whether or not you agree with those philosophies. I have my own qualms with them. It's important to know where that agency, where that commission is coming from. So if we go to their What We Do page, we see the following. At the Securities and Exchange Commission, we work together to make a positive impact on America's economy, our capital markets, and people's lives. For more than 85 years since our founding at the height of the Great Depression, we have stayed true to our mission of protecting investors, maintaining fair, orderly, and efficient markets, and facilitating capital formation. So number one with a bullet is protecting investors, right? The SEC views itself as the godfather, the uh, paternalistic leader of the marketplace that is going to prevent investors, particularly retail investors, which they consider specifically to be unsophisticated for these types of questions, they're going to protect them from themselves. And we'll see that writ large in some of the things we're going to look at in just a second. They also want to maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets. And if anything, right now, regardless of how you feel about making money at the expense of the hedge funds, I think everybody knows that GameStop is in an artificial bubble. Whether it's the Wall Street Bets guys, whether it's the short sellers, whether it's just the people watching from afar, like myself, I think it's very clear that nobody actually thinks that GameStop and its assets and the way the company runs is worth 200, 300, 400, who knows how many dollars it's at right now as I tape this video. But that everybody acknowledges that and they're going for a bit of a ride and it's gaming the system a little bit and taking advantage of those short sellers. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad corrective action, although it's certainly more volatile than I would like. And I think it does threaten certain optics with respect to this last point, which is facilitating capital formation, right? Why does the SEC exist? Why do they care about protecting investors? Sure, it's nice for people to not lose their shirts. But at the end of the day, it's really about making sure that there's an ability to allocate capital in a market, that these companies that have good ideas that they think will advantage America and the world can facilitate investment. 
And if you don't have a faith in the markets, if you have problems, certainly with short sales, yes, but also with Reddit groups that just decide to kill a stock in order to destroy those hedge funds that have sure fat cats, but also institutional investors involved in them, then when you start looking at what the SEC is going to do, it's going to come off as paternalistic, especially if you just downloaded the Robinhood app this week and think that you know what you're doing. And I'm not saying that you don't, by the way. I'm not saying the SEC has a better set of information than you do, but the SEC thinks it does. And that's one of the more important things here, right? If we go and we look at just a random speech that the SEC has given, it says in order for retail investors, that's you or I, people that are institutional investors, to feel comfortable participating in the markets, they need to know there's a strong and focused cop on the beat, right? The SEC feels like it's backing you. It's your bodyguard in the marketplace. And what does that mean? It means it controls the marketplace. It regulates the marketplace. But also it tells you when you're being silly and you shouldn't do something like invest in GameStop here on Thursday, January 28th, 2021. And so if the SEC believes those kinds of things, then they make those phone calls and they say, hey, are you really going to facilitate this market volatility? What are you doing, Robinhood and others? We'll see that it's not just Robinhood that has done this. And as I've talked about in earlier videos in this series, the SEC has the right to essentially step in and restrict trading on a stock completely which is not an action that they want to take based solely on what's happening right now, but it is an action that is in their tool belt. And so they can actually have that as part of their conversational leverage with brokerages, with exchanges, with other securities regulators in the various states. And so when you get right down to it, the SEC has some weapons to go and tell people what it is that they should do. Now, the SEC doesn't actually have to tell the brokerages that they need to do anything here in so many words because there is a lot of risk just inherent in market volatility. And these brokerage, whether they're applications or whether they're brick and mortar, don't necessarily want to take on all that volatility themselves. And they also don't want to take on the negative reactions, which we will also see. Now, in terms of the SEC, one thing that I really want to use to kind of expose is maybe a little bit of a strong word, but to make clear how the SEC operates is with one thing that's close to my heart. So I'm a corporate lawyer. I deal in mergers and acquisitions, venture capital, private offerings, equity raises that don't get registered with the SEC. And by far the most common one of these is what's called a regulation D offering. Now I'm going to try not to bore you to tears here, and I'm only going to use certain highlighted language, but I want to describe what this is so that you can see how all of your complaints about haves and haves nots and wealth protection and things, they live in actual capital formation at the very lowest level, these private offerings. Under the federal securities laws, any offer or sale of a security must either be registered with the SEC or meet an exemption. You either have to register if you have to have a rule that says you don't have to register. Regulation D under the Securities Act provides a number of exemptions from the registration requirements, allowing some companies to offer and sell their securities without having to register the offering with the SEC. That makes things vastly cheaper. If you don't have to register, if you don't have to put together all these documents, you don't have to pay lawyers to put those documents together to potentially talk with the SEC. If you don't have to do those kinds of things, you are saving a lot of money and it's money that's necessary to be saved. If you're a startup, if you're a small entity, if you're bootstrapping and you don't just want all that money to go to your lawyers or to regulatory bodies, right? So Regulation D exists to get you out of that registration requirement. In fact, when we start talking about Regulation D, during 2009 to 2017, which is the latest that I could find this report, rules 506B, which we will see is the most popular rule, and 506C, which allows you to actually solicit the public, account for 99.9% of the amounts reported 
sold through Regulation D. Now that's fine because those are both Regulation D rules, but here is where the rubber really hits the road. Including 93% of capital raised in offerings with a maximum offer size of a million and 98% of capital raised below the amended Rule 504 offering limit threshold. To make this clear, Rule 506B accounts for something like 90 plus percent of all relatively low capital raises in the United States, right? 98% of capital raised below $5 million went through 506B or 506C. And you can actually see that 506C is actually only accounting for a small proportion in the next bullet, 4%. Now this is as of 2017, 506C was a little bit newer back then. It was only adopted as part of the Jobs Act. So this could be a higher percentage as of right now. But the point is, is that 506B That rule under Regulation D is where capital raising happens. That's where the vast majority of small tech startups, really big potential positions that'll make them millionaires and billionaires, that's where this happens is in this Rule 506B. What does that rule look like? Well, it's Rule 506B is a safe harbor under Section 4A2 of the Securities Act. I know a lot of section references here. A company can be assured it is within that section, so it is exempt, if it satisfies these requirements, this rule 506B. Now, you know, it's also the case, the reason that this is 90 plus percent of capital raises is that there's a separate statute that actually says if you follow this rule in particular and you give a notice to the SEC under this rule, then you don't have to otherwise comply with the state regulatory market compliance, right? So if you don't follow this rule, if you follow a different rule or or if you go a different direction, then you have to go to each state where an investor lives and you have to do whatever it is that they require you to do. If you use this rule, you can just send in essentially a note and a check that says, this is the rule I used. You can go find my filing with the SEC or here's a copy of the filing with the SEC. And so, so many small businesses, Twitter, other businesses used this to raise money to start out with before they were public. And that's where you get those really big, massive 500% gains uh, on your investment. But what is the rule? Well, the company cannot use general solicitation, which it can if it uses 506C, which is kind of an offshoot. But here's the most important one. The company may sell its securities to an unlimited number of accredited investors and end up to 35 other purchasers. All non-accredited investors, either alone or with a purchaser representative, must be sophisticated. That is, they must have sufficient knowledge and experience in financial and business matters to make them capable of evaluating the merits and risks of the prospective investment. So the SEC, once again, is concerned. They're paternalistic here. They say, yeah, this is great. You can make this capital up, but they can only be given to accredited investors or up to 35 other purchasers. Now we'll talk in just a second why very few companies actually use the other 35 purchasers regardless of their sophistication level. But what's really important is that accredited investors concept, right? A lot of my term sheets that go out, a lot of the raises that I help companies do are only offered to accredited investors. So what is an accredited investor? Well, we go here to the definitions and we go through a hundred million pages of things that the SEC has put together here. And we see the definition of a accredited investor is any bank, uh, generally any entity that has $5 million. And here is what it needs to be for an individual. Any natural person, that's, that's you or me, uh, the law uses the word person to also include entities because that makes a lot of sense for people just trying to read these things. So we also use natural person to mean, no, 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 not companies, just, just people that walk around on planet Earth. Any natural person whose individual net worth or joint net worth with that person's spouse or spousal equivalent exceeds $1 million. That's right, folks. We're only talking about millionaires. It gets worse than that, actually. We're talking about millionaires 
that don't have to count their primary residence in order to get to that million dollar number. So it's a million dollars plus a house that you actually have to have to be treated as a credit investor. Now, that's not the only way you can do that. As like I said, you could own a $5 million company, although chances are you're a millionaire at that point, or you could be making a lot of money on a yearly basis. Any natural person who had an individual income in excess of $200,000 in each of the two most recent years or joint income with that person's spouse or spousal equivalent in excess of $300,000 in each of those years and has a reasonable expectation of reaching the same income level in the current year. Now, I can't speak for you if you're just watching this, but I have no idea what a reasonable expectation of my income level is going to be for 2021. I didn't have any idea for 2020. I don't have any idea for 2021. It's that kind of economy. It's that kind of pandemic, right? But what's important to take away here, and I won't bore you with the rest of the kind of details, is that if it's just a person, you're not talking about a trust or a bank or another entity that has $5 million in assets, you have to be a millionaire already, or you have to already be making 200 grand a year, which means when you go back and you actually look at this rule, it says, basically, you can offer this stock to people that are already rich already wealthy. And the reason the SEC does that, if you go and you look at their literature, is that they say that that's a proxy for sophistication. That if you're rich enough, we assume that you're sophisticated in these markets. And kind of adjacent to that, we assume that you can afford the loss. So the problem is, is that these are the kinds of things that venture capital groups and angel funds and other folks can invest in. And yeah, a lot of them are going to go bust but a lot of them are going to make the really big money. So you get this separation of who can actually invest in this stuff, what we might call alternative investments that really have the chance for high rates of return. Now, why won't they also include these other sophisticated parties, even if I can bring them into a potential investment round? Well, that's because companies don't have to give information to accredited investors. Companies must decide what information to give to accredited investors so long as it does not violate the anti-fraud prohibitions of the federal securities laws. They can't lie to investors. They can't forget to say something that's important or would be important to an investor evaluating the purchase of the security. But other than that, there's no specific amount of information that they have to give to folks that are already rich, the millionaires, the $200,000 salary per year. Companies, on the other hand, must give non-accredited investors disclosure documents that are generally the same as those used in Regulation A or registered offerings. They have to put together something that looks a little bit like a public offering set of documents. So that's already spending the money that they're trying to avoid by doing a private offering, which means that when we start talking about Rule 506, when we start talking about these huge percentage of offerings, almost all of them are limited solely to accredited investors so that you don't have to deal with any of that. So effectively, the SEC goes out there with a set of rules that says, yeah, if you're already rich, you can potentially invest in these things. And if you're not, you can't, which is why people get up in arms with things like Robinhood and what we're talking about today. In fact, the SEC has been focused on technology platforms as potentially being what amounts to a loose brick in the wall they have protecting investors. We see here a quote from seven years ago now from the SEC that said, we are, for example, closely focused on the dramatic changes in the equity markets in recent years and whether, and whenever they ask the question rhetorically like that, you should assume that their answer is no internally, the high-speed technology-driven systems of today are serving retail investors well. The SEC has their eye on these kinds of technology-driven systems. Apps like Robinhood, like other applications that you might see, the SEC is already concerned about them because they don't match what it looked like 85 years ago. Remember, the SEC is old and it doesn't necessarily change very rapidly with advances in technology. And so these kinds of novel applications concern them. 
And it's not just them, right? So if you're Robinhood and you're running this company and you see an article from yesterday, updated today, that says online trading platforms see a surge in usage as Redditors take on Wall Street. And you got everybody from virtual legality on down reporting on this with a giant picture of your app, then this is how you get eyeballs on how you operate and what you facilitate and whether investors are harmed by your existence, which means if you're running a place like Robinhood, you have to be concerned that the SEC is going to look at this and say, ah, we need more rules. We need more regulations on these kinds of things. And so one of the things you're trying to accomplish on a morning like today, and I'm not saying you have to be happy with it, is if you're running Robinhood, you're trying to look like a good citizen that is responsible, that isn't just facilitating people going broke in what amounts to an online casino on GameStop stock. So you look at the volatility, you look at the situation in the marketplace of these various securities and you restrict it. Understand that this is going to look bad for Robinhood from those people that are customers, from Stool Presidente and whoever that are thinking that this was the way in which they could get in and activate in the markets without having to worry about more formal brokerages. But Robinhood is first and foremost, a business trying to make money, trying to not get regulated to within an inch of their lives, right? In this article alone, you see the Reddit community Wall Street Bets, which has 2.8 million members, is awash with users encouraging each other to pile on and keep pushing the stock higher. And in fact, pumping Robinhood and other applications to do so. You look at that sentence and you think about the earlier videos in the series and you start to say, okay, the SEC is definitely going to be doing a pump and dump style case study on what exactly happened here, whether or not it was illegal. U.S. investing app Robinhood, for instance, hit a record on market intelligence firms Aptopia's app rankings on Tuesday. People were getting in to Robinhood. Like other brokerages do, we monitor volatility and we take steps as appropriate, like raising the margin requirements. Robinhood co-founder Vlad Tenev told CNBC Squawk Box on Wednesday. I do think it's wrong to assume, though, that most of our activity is characterized by trading of volatile stocks, which is essentially saying, hey, we do other stuff than GameStop just because we went to number one due to this particular week of activity. But you can see Robinhood, even in these statements, is trying to look like that solid citizen. You've got quotes from various market analysts. It says it appears on some chat groups. Communities of traders have adopted a game mentality, deliberately buying GameStop shares because they were shorted and concerns about these various things that I know a number of viewers of this channel and in my social media feeds don't think is a problem, but that certainly the old guard does. In fact, when I said that Robinhood wasn't the only ones doing this, it's important to note that they really, really aren't. This is another article from Coindesk that says, after tweeting about unprecedented volumes that may be causing limited access, TD Ameritrade simply restricted client trading for GameStop, AMC, and other securities in the interest of mitigating risk, for who? For our company. Yep. Market volatility is not great for brokerages and clients. So you've got the SEC as a kind of hierarch, the, the most paternalistic. Then you have the brokerage that you might otherwise use that is also paternalistic. And then you have the exchanges, right? NASDAQ CEO told CNBC Thursday, her firm actively monitors social media chatter and will halt stock trading if the content it sees matches with unusual activity in stocks. So NASDAQ is going out there and saying, well, we might have to control certain stock trading as well. Heck, maybe even your investment advisors might be in the loop, right? Bloomberg reported that Wells Fargo also banned its advisors from making stock recommendations on GameStop and AMC Entertainment. So yes, this can look, if you're so inclined to think so, like the fix is in. 
Certainly, I think that the SEC is too paternalistic and that people are more sophisticated than it gives them generally credit for. But with the SEC up there looming, wanting to be the cop on the beat, having a set of rules like 506 that already suggest that they aren't comfortable with retail investors getting involved with high-risk, high-reward stocks, then it is not unexpected that the Robin Hoods of the world, even though their business model depends on retail investors, are going out there and saying, this is too much. This is too much for us. We can't afford to have our entire business model regulated out of existence. So we have to start looking like a good citizen. And no, you don't have to like it. But that's how I see things as they stand this morning, January 28th, 2021. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this, like, subscribe, share it around. We also have other ways to support the channel. We just started a Patreon. We have Streamlabs, donations and tips. We have store merchandise. Reasonable minds can differ. If you love any of that, great contribute, buy it. If you don't, or if you don't have the money, heck, it's 2021, it's a pandemic. Rick, what are you talking about? Then really just subscribe and tell your friends because every single little bit helps in supporting the channel. And I love the growth we've had. I love having conversations with new people. And I love talking about this stuff, the business and law of the pop culture you're already reading about, whether that's technology, video games, music, movies, or television. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.